0: We're going to be looking in Psalm 84 today. So if you turn there in your Bibles, we'll, we'll read. Let's, let's stand and we'll read this psalm together and then we'll look into it. Psalm 84 How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca they make it a place of springs the autumn rains also cover it with pools they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion hear my prayer o lord god almighty Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O oh Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, it is our rightful place, and we gladly. Accept that lowly place before you because we know you are the great and the exalted and the mighty one. We thank you for your word and ask that your spirit will enlighten and enliven our lives so that we may see you as you are and that our lives may be transformed to bring glory to you a deeper understanding of you, a greater peace to our souls because we've spent time with you in your house today. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like, to, I'd like to focus on two specific themes that are found here in this psalm. The first is the glory and beauty afforded to God himself and the second is the joy that we can have in his presence if we take a look at verse 1 he says how lovely is your dwelling place O Lord Almighty as the psalmist looks over the tabernacle what does he see he sees curtains he sees the enclosures he sees the furniture And he is enthralled with the loveliness of it. And yet, the structure is actually quite simple. And it's designed to be portable. So what was so awe-inspiring and beautiful about this dwelling place? In Exodus 25, verse 8, Jehovah says to Moses, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. The primary element of the loveliness of this place was the one who resided in it. It was the dwelling place of the living God among his people the Lord of the hosts of heaven was residing there. And the psalmist's passion for that place was due to his passion for the lovely being that was living there and that could be found there. This, this was where the glorious almighty was worshipped corporately. This was where their relationship with Him was made right through the substitutionary sacrifices that were made. This was where their songs were sung to the praise of His glory. He says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. The Lord's beauty is so captivating that for him, no desire exceeded his longing to worship the living God. And he wanted to do so with the people of God in his courts. Nothing meant more. Everything else paled in comparison to it. He says, My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. All that was within him, welling up in gratitude, toward God, to the extent that he just couldn't contain it any longer. The fervency of his spirit for God broke out through his lips as he cries out for the living God. You know, as I I think about that, I sometimes read that and I go, I don't know what you mean. I don't, I don't feel like that all the time. Sometimes. But I don't always feel like that. Isn't God good and gracious to come alongside when we don't love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength? He forgives and he comes alongside. Well, we'll pick this thought up a little bit later as we go along. Verse 3, as he's in and surveying the tabernacle, he says, "'Even the sparrow has found a home "'and the swallow a nest for herself "'where she may have her young. "'A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King.'" And my God, you can picture the psalmist looking around from within the tabernacle and he sees birds flying in and around the enclosure. He sees those very same birds enjoying the special privilege of having their nests near the altar of God. And I think it's then he realizes that God extends the same blessings and the same blessing that he has been experiencing and that he's been given, he sees God has extended that to these little birds that that are flitting around in, in in the tabernacle enclosure. I think this speaks to the gentleness, the warmth, and the tenderness of their creator as he sits enthroned over the affairs of men. And at the very same time, He's delighting in the company of his tiny little creatures. Even they are afforded a place near him. And oftentimes we think that God is the God of the macro. He's running everything. And he has all these things in his control, which is obviously true. But God is the God of the micro as well. He sees you, He sees me. Do you think He pays attention and knows that when we celebrate communion, do you think that He is aware that you take that little piece of bread and hold it with great joy? And seriousness and know that this is his body that's broken for me and I'm just this little nobody he notices and he sees and he delights in his people does it not remind us of Jesus saying let the little children come to me but let let the little kids come don't don't hold them away his disciples were in error saying, oh, God, God's just the God of the big stuff. No, 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 no. He, he's the God of the little, the little people as well. You don't have to be a mover and a shaker in the halls of the power and the elite for God to notice you or for you to bring joy to him. He enjoys our presence and delights in you and I, even in our lowly estate. That's how wonderful he is. I I hope that's encouraging to you. It is to me. Then he says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. He declares that this blessing doesn't stop with the little birds. It extends to those who dwell in his house, those priests and Levites who see to its operation an ongoing work. It would also extend to those who were responsible for the upkeep of the facility. He does not pity them in relation to their service. He sees it as a special privilege to be familiar with the sacred, to be, as one writer puts it, The guest of God in his house, surrounded by all that is holy, and it leads them to a life of endless praise and adoration. Verse five Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who've set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacchah, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Obviously what he's speaking of here is the pilgrimage that people would go on to come to Jerusalem and come to the tabernacle to worship. The psalmist declares the bliss and the happiness of the one who, as he walks the road, and notice it isn't just the road to Jerusalem, The tabernacle. I think we can expand this to the road of life. He has made the Lord God his source and his source of strength. God is the well to which he goes each day for support. He recognizes that in himself he is quickly used up. I know that is true of me. He recognizes that his resources and his reserves are no match for what he encounters each day. He is no match for what's coming. And yet, he says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. So he humbly goes to the all-powerful one, confesses, and he owns his weakness and his inability, and he asks God to enable, support, and bolster his soul for all that he will face that day. And heaven will not turn a deaf ear to the cry of a child for divine enablement. He will hear and he will respond. And this is why the worshipers, why they go on a pilgrimage from their homes to the place of his presence to worship there. Notice the pursuit. A longing for his presence that considers the cost of the travel as a willing expense. I will pay whatever is necessary to go to his his home, to his place, where he can be worshipped. Do you know why they do that? Because they know who they are going to find at the other end. At the end of their travels, they know who they're going to find. They are going to appear before the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of the hosts of heaven. That's who they're going to see. And even as they pass through the valley, it says here of Baca, where weeping and dryness were often experienced in this valley. They found refreshment for their souls even in those dry areas, those dry places. They found divine provision for their journey. I want you to turn over to First Kings chapter 19 for an example of this. First Kings... 19 we're very familiar with chapter 18 Elijah's just been on Mount Carmel a great victory was won for God for God's name for God's people the prophets of Baal have been eliminated verse 1 Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now what could be included there is Ahab told Jezebel everything God did through Elijah, right? And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah has just come off this mountaintop experience of victory over the forces of darkness on Mount Carmel. Jezebel threatens to kill him, and he runs scared for his life. To such a degree that he goes a day's journey into the desert, verse 4, comes to a broom tree, sits down under it, and he prays that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I'm done. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the tree, and he falls asleep, and I think he fully expects just to die. But it doesn't end there. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looks around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and he said, Get up and eat. And notice what he adds, because the journey is too much for you. You are not adequate in and of yourself. You don't have the resources. You don't have the strength. But what do we see the angel of the Lord doing? We see God himself come to the aid of his ailing prophet who is despondent, weak, scared. And God comes to his aid personally says the journey is too much for you you need help and he gives it to him I don't think this is any different than what we see in Psalm 84 as they pass through the valley of weeping and dryness the autumn rains cover it with pools they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion as these pilgrims journey, they are resolute on their destination and they go from place to place, strengthened on the way by fellow travelers and places of respite until they reach their destination, which was the dwelling of God. And I'm sure you see in this, in this picture here the journey or the pilgrimage of every believer in this life. Because that's what this is this is a picture of our lives as well coming to know God being rightly related to him with our sins having been forgiven through the cross and through the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ we spend our lives in joyful expectation of arriving at our desired end his very presence And as we travel along the way, we have traveling companions who minister to us and we to them. And they're here today. These are our traveling companions. We are the ones who come alongside and minister to each other to strengthen one another until we appear before him in his presence. And we all look forward in hope to the day we meet him face to face. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield. O God, look with favor on your anointed one. He now longs to be heard by God he pleads with the ever-living one to listen to the cry of his heart. He prays that God's favor will be shown to the king, to the one that was established by God himself and is entrusted with the welfare of his own people. He asks God to bless him as he serves God in this appointed role. And this is necessary because the servant of God always stands in need of God's favor, of God's wisdom, of God's courage, and of God's peace. And God's servant recognizes fully that each of those things are not found within himself. He recognizes that he is unable to do the very thing he's been called to do he must be dependent on the God who called to also enable and then he says better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere for him spending time worshiping God learning his character Knowing his heart, standing in awe of his being, it surpasses any alternative that might be offered to him. But it's bigger than that. Not only do they not compare on a one-to-one basis, he says, you pile up thousands of those other days And they still don't compare with the beauty and the greatness of knowing God and being in his presence. This is how great the Almighty God is. The reality of this doesn't end with being in God's temporal dwelling place whether it's his tabernacle or this place here. The reality of this extends to the courts of eternity as well. One day in God's eternal presence, already, just one, one already outweighs not just a thousand days, But it outweighs a thousand lifetimes here without him. Anyone who has passed through the veil and entered God's presence knows the reality of this verse in a moment, they know it in a moment. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The psalmist here declares that being the lowliest servant in God's presence is better by far than living lavishly among wicked, godless men. We have a saying that that we communicate to people. I don't know where these sayings come from. That... They don't make any sense by themselves. But are you living large, (laughs) right? It's like, what do you mean? What does that even mean? He says, "I would rather be a little nobody and a doorkeeper in the house of God than live large in the tents of the wicked." And someone could ask. Now, how can that possibly be true? You, you can see the look on their face. Surely you jest. Really? Look at all the world has to offer. Why would you choose? That narrow path. Why would you do that? I seem to remember somebody else has said that once. Look at all the world has to offer. It was in the desert to Jesus. Look at what I can give you. Look, I can give you the whole thing. Why? would you choose that path? I think the psalmist would answer that question very simply. Why would I rather spend one day in his courts? And why would I gladly accept the lowliest place in his presence? His answer is very simple. You don't know my God. You don't know him. Because if you did, you wouldn't be asking me that. You wouldn't be saying that. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 answers the question, why? It gives the motivation. Why would you rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God? Why? Because the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. He feels this way because all that this world is and has to offer can never be or do what God is and can do. This world doesn't feel about you the way God feels about you. His child. God has committed himself to care for his people now and forever. He has sworn to be a son and shield to his people for now and all eternity. Now I want you to notice there's something here that it doesn't say. It doesn't say that god became a son and a shield it doesn't say that does it god never became anything he is and always has been a son and shield but one thing we need to remember brothers and sisters is the Lord God is not just a son and shield and not only is the son and shield he is my son and my shield he is your son and your shield he says he is A sun. No cloud of suffering that we may enter can ever block out the radiance of the Lord God. His light penetrates the deepest darkness of the soul, no matter what surrounds. His radiance has never met a superior, let alone his equal. Jesus declares, that he is the light of the world. In John 8, I am the light of the world. John 4, or I'm sorry, John chapter 1, John says of him that the light shines, the light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and that that darkness has neither understood that light, nor has it overcome that light. The darkness is entirely incapable of putting out the light. That will never happen. Ever. He lights our path with His Word as His Spirit guides us in His truth, avoiding the pitfalls of life so that we don't make a shipwreck of our lives in sin. He lights our path And says, this is the way. This this is the way. Come, this way. Don't don't go that way. It's dark over there. The, The path is here. I'm showing it to you. And then he says, he adds to this, that the Lord God is our shield. In Genesis 15, verse 1. We read this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Remember, where has Abram been? Abram doesn't have a Bible. He heard the voice of God, told him to leave the Ur of the Chaldees, leave your home and go where I'm going to show you. He didn't even tell him where he was going. And he goes, okay, Lord, I'll go. He's going into the complete unknown. But why does he do so? Because he knows the one who told him to do it. He knows him. And he appears to him and he says, I am your shield. Moses declares in Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-nine, 29. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield, he is your helper, and your glorious sword. No weapon that man can construct can circumvent or penetrate the shield that is our God. He has taken up a position of protection over His people forever. It never ends. Nothing can reach us but what God allows for our good and the revelation of Himself to us. But there's more. He says the Lord God bestows favor and honor he promises that out of his infinite storehouse of resource, he will bestow grace and favor in abundance. We needn't beg, hoping that we might get a scrap from his table. God is not stingy with his people All that is needed for the life and godliness of every believer throughout all of history has already been given to each of us. Is this not what we read in 2 second, second Peter chapter 1? His divine power has given us, and that us obviously is plural, it's us, His church, His people, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us. According to his own glory and goodness, he's given us the greatest of all graces in his Son. John, again, John 1 says that the Son is full of grace and truth, he is just overflowing, overflowing with grace and goodness. He always works for us and never against us. Even his hand of discipline is the expression of his great, never-ending love. Hebrews 12 tells us this, doesn't it? What father is there that does not discipline the son he loves? And this is what God does for us as well. And as we revel in the grace he gives, we see the delight of the heart of God toward his people. We are his honored guests, given the great privilege of being called his sons. And he personally, personally sees to our needs with infinite care at every moment of every day. And are not these the very things that we need as we travel through this life of brokenness and fallenness and ignorance when we don't know what to do? We have one who is an advocate who works on our behalf who is a sun and shield to each and every one of us bestowing grace and favor on us constantly but God does even more than this he makes this unconditional promise to us the end of verse 11 I think we could hear God say I swear by myself that not that no good thing will I withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If you know him and are rightly related to him by means of his son, his commitment to you is unequivocal and it is permanent. God promises to superintend your life to such a degree and mine to such a degree that you will lack nothing that is necessary or beneficial to your safe passage through your life. He promises. We all suffer hardship throughout our lives, but this promise was made with no caveat. There are no exceptions. Well, I'll be around if, or you better. (laughs) No good thing does he withhold ever from those whose walk is blameless. Nothing we experience in this life is because God is ignoring us or overlooking us or the fact that he doesn't have time for us. Just as it was with Joseph, life's hardships came through the superintending hand of God. And for Joseph, along with those hardships, we read no less than four specific times. It says, the Lord was with him. Jehovah God was with him. As he's strapped and hauled off by his brothers who are gleefully counting the money and separating it between them as for what they got for him, and he's pleading with them, screaming to them as he's hauled off to another country away from his family, The text is clear. Jehovah was with him. Was with him in Potiphar's house. It says that specifically. He was with him in prison. The Lord was with him. Never once left him and left his side, even through all those hardships. Every day, Jehovah was lighting his path and protecting him. catastrophe. Verse 12, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. He concludes all that he has said with an exclamation to the Lord of the heavenly hosts that the man who trusts in him is truly blessed. This is the confidence of Job, isn't it? When he suffered so deeply and on so many levels and yet he powerfully declared Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I will put my hope in him. Because God was trustworthy. This is the one who knows the peace and security of soul that comes from depending on the only dependable one. And this is where genuine peace is found. What you and I need in our lives is not a life devoid of, of hardship or pain. That isn't what we need. That's what we're told. But that's not what we need. What we need is what the psalmist had he had God in clear focus, there was clarity in his heart and mind as to the person and character of God. And that was more than sufficient to bring light to his soul and strength to his heart and his mind. He saw his God. Same is true for you and me. In those deep, deep and dark times. We don't need for, for, the, for, the, for the clouds to blow away. What well, we need is to see who God is without a filter. And you just saw it. This is who God is. And this is where our strength is found each day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for yourself that you have committed yourself to us unequivocally that you love with an everlasting love you have sworn by yourself that you will never leave us or forsake us and we believe you and ask that you will help our unbelief and we pray in christ's name amen